Hello and welcome to Obsession, where we get horribly obsessed, highly obsessed, <laughs> hilariously obsessed with things that other people might find odd. Nothing is too obscure, too creepy or too weird for us to research obsessively. I'm Heidi. And I'm Rebecca. Join us in being Obsessed. <laughs> Hello, Obsessives. Hello, Heidi. Hello, Obsessives. Hello, Becky. How are you doing? I'm holding yeah. on there. What week are you now yes. into the, this latest lockdown? Uh, I think we've got four more weeks to go. Oh, okay. Okay, poor yes. Melbourne. Yeah, it's it's not looking good for Melbourne here. And I'm living in a hot spot. Yes. So it's, you know, it's not the best situation. So you have to stay inside, which is healthy and good and a wise thing to do. And when you're out, you've got to wear a mask? I do, yes. So I, it is law now to wear a mask in Victoria. Right, so have you been going up to, um, you know, random shops and refusing to wear them and throwing groceries around and complaining? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's so sad when it people really do that. It really is. Just like... Really, you want to fight for something and that's what you want to fight yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a little bit sad. They always have such a tone about them. It's my constitution, right? You can't tell me what to do. You think, oh, my God, you remind me of, like, you know, a three-year-old niece throwing a temper tantrum because I won't give you Milo. It's ridiculous. I know. I know. Oh, well. But there are, there are little glimmers of joy. Um, I live near the river and my ducks from the park relocated to the river and I like to tell myself that it was to be near me. Of course it was. Ducks (laughs) know. And there's a pair of black swans that live in the river that are always in the park and they have cygnets. Oh, little bubby swans little bubbies so you know they give me happiness okay so you got something to look forward to every day when you go outside suffering the mask <laughs> <laughs> look i've been wearing a mask for the last couple do of you know months, why so it's really not no because you've got common me. sense <laughs> yeah maybe common sense is useful maybe. now in tonight's podcast there's not a great deal of common sense i don't think Oh, yeah, yeah. And look, while we're at it, look, I I think I should just take the opportunity to say that uh, this particular episode does come with a trigger warning. Yeah, so as you can see from the title, it is about Annalisa Michelle, who was a victim of one of the most famous exorcisms in Catholic history. And um, she was also the inspiration behind the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose. So if anyone is particularly freaked out by exorcisms or talk about demon possession, <laughs> yeah. you know, this episode might not yeah, be Yeah, turn around. Here. It might not be yeah, for leave everyone. Leave now, yeah. leave now. 
<laughs> so one thing we also want to make clear is that unlike a lot of other podcasts about Annalise and Michelle, we're not presenting this story as an unsolved no. mystery. So we've both agreed, unbelievably, we both <laughs> agreed that there is no mystery involved in the death of Annalisa. And it's a cut and dried case of neglect towards a mentally ill woman and not a case of demonic possession. Absolutely not. And as Becky stated in an earlier episode, um, you know, she's a Christian and I'm not. Um, I'm actually ex-Catholic. Very ex. Very ex. <laughs> but, but strangely enough, we do see eye to eye on To be honest, I did wipe the baptismal water off my head when I was a baby. So... <laughs> You know, that might contribute to, to the way I am today. I always love that story. Go baby Heidi. You knew then what you did and didn't believe. You, you were sure of your, you know, you had conviction. Good on you. Now, another thing that's important for us to get across is that this girl's death has been made into entertainment, which is really not cool. I haven't seen The Exorcism of Emily Rose and I don't actually plan to. I hate pure horror movies as it is. But also, I really hate watching anything that makes entertainment out of what was a nightmare for real living people. And also, I've heard it's pretty bad. Yeah, look, don't bother. I saw it when it first came out in the yeah. cinemas and I wasn't impressed. I mean, I thought it was a pretty average horror movie as is. And to me, it felt like it had been funded by the Catholic Church oh, really? or something. I mean, I really don't. I really don't think it had been, but I remember sitting there thinking, is this a Catholic well, movie? <laughs> look at the passion of the movies. It's possible. It's possible. Who knows? And um, I just have to say, I'm, it, I'm, it's a bit chilly tonight, so I'm sitting here with a blanket <laughs> over my legs, and it's actually my christening yeah, that's blanket. That's going to catch fire at some point. So. Yeah, so baby Heidi was wrapped up in this when she wiped the baptismal <laughs> water from her head. So it's very suitable. Very, very apt. So the other thing we have to let you know tonight is that we are going to be highly critical of the way that the church handled this situation, but we're not out to bash Catholicism, not particularly even the Catholic Church, just the way these happened in this particular case in this particular time. Okay, so we thought we had to make these things really clear before we proceeded with this very sad and very horrible tale. Heidi, you want to start us yeah. off? Yes. So let's start from the beginning. In 1948, a German woman called Anna had a child out of wedlock. Filled with deep shame over being an unwed mother, when Anna did get married, she wore a black bridal veil to signify her lack of That's purity. That's extreme. <laughs> well, do you know what? My mum, mm. now this is in the 70s in Australia. She had a friend who um, was pregnant yeah. at the time of her wedding and her friend had to wear 
um, a piece of pink material uh, underneath really? the veil. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, not good. It's not, not good. No. So Anna's groom, Joseph Michel, had once considered becoming a priest and they were both extremely religious and extremely troubled people. Anna was obsessive and controlling. Joseph was emotionally unavailable and traumatized from his past as a Nazi soldier in World War II. As well as Anna's daughter, Martha, the couple went on to have four other daughters, the eldest being Anna Elizabeth, usually known as Annalisa, who was born in 1952. The Michelles were, as you would probably expect, very strict parents. The family went to Catholic mass twice a week. The girls were not allowed to be friends with boys. And even as children could not have sleepovers with friends who had brothers. They were punished for any behavior that was seen as as impious and their punishments often um, their punishments were often something to do with prayers or holy yeah, objects that, yeah. and that's, that's important. important Anna was still tormented for her perceived sin of having had Martha out of wedlock and when Martha died at the age of eight from kidney failure it felt like a punishment from God. Annalisa, being a highly sensitive and intelligent child, soaked up both the tension and the extreme religiosity of the family. From a very young age, she believed that she had a duty to atone for the sins of others. And she would sleep on the cold floor at night so that God would forgive the drug addicts that slept on cold streets. She was also concerned about the wayward priests and, like her parents, was heavily against Vatican II. Yeah, so Vatican II was a huge change for Catholics and it might be an idea to explain a little bit more about that. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll just give a really, really quick explanation because I did daydream through religious <laughs> education at school. So, you know, I'm not necessarily um, an expert myself. Um, so basically before 1963, Catholic masses were always delivered in Latin. And Vatican II was basically the introduction of more modern elements in the Catholic Church, such as mass being said in languages that the congregation could actually understand. Helpful. Which you think <laughs> was helpful. You, you think know? that'd be a good thing. Yeah. So, look, there was more to it than that, but that's, that's sort of the basic overview, really. Um, look, it was very controversial, yeah. and traditionalists like the Michelle family didn't like the idea of the church changing in any way. So anyway, 
Apart from being more religious than most of her peers, Annalisa appeared to be quite a normal and functional young girl. In fact, she was academically gifted and quite outgoing. Then, at the age of 16, Annalisa started showing signs of ill health. At school one day, she went into a trance-like state. After that, she started experiencing sleep paralysis. Now, we did a whole episode about sleep, <laughs> paralysis, sleep paralysis, which I have suffered from quite a lot in the past. And as we said in that episode, it can feel like there's something on your chest. And of course, in Annalisa's mind, that something was. See, I think with sleep paralysis, it becomes something that you know about. So for you, it was about the sketches. For her, yes, demons. Yeah. And she also began wetting the bed. 1969 was a particularly tough year for Annalisa. She had tonsillitis, pleurisy, pneumonia and tuberculosis. No wonder she was sleeping on the floor all the time in the cold. Oh, my God. So the following year, Annalisa was admitted to a TB clinic in Mittelberg, Bavaria. There, she was bullied relentlessly by the other kids, a situation that was only worsened when she had another seizure and sleep paralysis episode. Much to her humiliation, she again wet the bed. Rumours of Annalisa being possessed by demons began to circulate the wards. She was seen by a neurologist, given an EEG and diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy, as well as heart and circulation problems. I find um, temporal lobe epilepsy really yes. interesting because in the latest biography of Vincent van Gogh, and yes, I know I'm pronouncing no, his name wrong. Everyone it differently. Um, the... the um, the, the most recent sort of diagnosis of him is temporal lobe epilepsy. Ah. Yeah. So, you know, it kind of makes sense. Um, so Annalisa was now taking medication for the seizures, but new problems had arisen. Hallucinations, usually of a menacing face. So regardless of the hallucinations she was experiencing, her physical health had improved enough for her to be discharged from the clinic. In the dysfunctional and obsessively pious atmosphere of her home, Annalisa's mental state deteriorated even further. She became severely depressed and antisocial. She stopped taking her medication and as well as having seizures, also had outbursts of temper and frequent incontinence. Her parents sent her to, a more, to more doctors, but Annalisa had become cynical about medical science and rejected their advice in favour of going on religious pilgrimages. Now, it was on one of those pilgrimages that the idea of demon possession began to truly take root in the minds of Annalisa and her parents. 
1973, Annalisa and a family friend went to visit a shrine in northern Italy and Annalisa was tormented by the smell of burning fecal matter. The people around her were apparently claiming that they could smell this on her, which is really strange and makes you wonder if she was experiencing an olfactory hallucination or if there was something else going on. Mm. She couldn't go near the shrine because she believed that the ground was burning her feet and there were noticeable changes in her voice. She couldn't look at holy relics because they sparkled too much and she refused to drink holy water. The family friend declared that these were definitely signs of demonic possession. Yeah, and look, those around her contributed to her delusions with their own religious interpretation of Absolutely. I mean, if you've got a teenager and you tell them something about themselves constantly... That's, they're going to internalise Absolutely, that. absolutely. And for someone who, uh, like Annalisa, was obviously experiencing severe mental health issues, um, mm. to have no voices of reason or calm or reassurance around her instead having that monster fed really is quite alarming. It is. It is. Uh, absolutely. So after returning home, Annalisa decided that she wanted to study to be a teacher. However, her hallucinations were becoming more horrific. And in order to start college with a clean bill of health, Annalisa agreed to see more doctors. She was prescribed a very strong medication for epilepsy called Tegretol, but this did nothing to stop the hallucinations. In fact, the faces that floated around her became even more threatening. She refused to eat, breaking her fast, only to eat spiders or coal, had episodes of barking like a dog and lapped up her urine from the floor with her tongue. So sad. Mm. Her mother claimed that her daughter's eyes would turn black as she stared at a statue of the Virgin Mary and also claimed that Annalisa had acquired superhuman strength and the ability to pick up her sister and throw her around like she weighed no more than a rag doll. Something else happened in 1973. The film The Exorcist was released, bringing knowledge of exorcism rites and the symptoms of supposed demon possession into the mainstream. Her parents decided to call in the priests. At first, the Michelle family were denied an exorcism. The priests they consulted were sensible enough to conclude that Annalise's problems were medical, not spiritual, and that she should continue with her treatment. Annalise's so-called demonic episodes were periodic, and there were stretches of time in which she was completely fine. She was studying at the University of Würzburg and had even found a boyfriend, Peter. However, the bad periods became even worse, with Annalisa claiming that voices were telling her that she was damned to rot in hell. Almost suicidal, Annalise continued to search for a priest who would see the demons inside of her 
and agree to an exorcism. By, by 1975, her behavior had become so extreme that even Peter believed her to be possessed. Annalisa had previously had prayer sessions with a father, Ernest Alt, and she'd liked and trusted him. Alt had asked for permission to perform the exorcism, but his bishop had refused, saying that Annalisa had a medical problem, not a demon problem. Mm. After receiving her desperate pleas, Alt petitioned again to the bishop, who weirdly enough gave permission for a small rite to be performed and arranged for a Father Arnold Renz to be in charge of the proceedings. Also, the exorcism had to be kept a total secret. You know, the adamant stupidity of those who kept pushing for exorcism despite more rational thinking advising them otherwise is just horrible. Father Alt was an arrogant man, I think. Do you know what? I get the feeling he was extremely mm. arrogant. Um, when he first saw her, he said, she doesn't look like an epileptic. <laughs> it's like all those people right now <laughs> saying there is no pandemic. What the hell do you know? <laughs> I know. So it, it's, it's just such a strange thing to say. And something else that he said was, there's no injection against demonic possession. Uh-huh. You know, he he was one, one of, those. of those. Yeah, one I can tell you, those. if he'd be living now, he probably wouldn't be wearing a mask. No, no, he'd be saying, <laughs> you know, my only mask is the love Jesus, of Jesus, that's it. or something, uh, something really strange yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah. So, well, the exorcisms did happen. 67 of them over the course of 10 That's months. That's a lot of months. That's a lot of week. It's huge. It's huge. So what does an exorcism involve? We know that Rents and Alt followed the Rituale Romanum, which is the official book of rites for the Roman Catholic Church. Yes. So just for context, this particular version that they used of the Rituale Romanum came from the Middle Ages, about the same time that the Malleus Maleficorum, which was the guide for determining witches, was also written. So we're talking really medieval stuff here. Yeah, yeah. So generally the allegedly possessed person is seated and often restrained so that they don't harm themselves or others. So Annalisa was absolutely restrained. Uh. And the priest recites prayers over the person, 11 prayers and 17 biblical tests, sometimes administering a gentle laying on of the hands. So it can last for a couple of hours. It can last up to 12 hours. Um, and it's only supposed to happen once a day. And it actually sounds pretty boring. Actually, it sounds quite torturous to me. The repetitivity for someone who is mentally ill, you know, that would have been quite traumatic and distressing and disturbing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it definitely would be. And, you know, exorcisms aren't supposed to be violent. You know, from Hollywood, we get this idea that they're extremely violent 
And to make it clear, I don't think that these priests were violent towards Annalise. Well, not physically, that but mentally. Was, no, no. So that wasn't the problem. The issue was that she was clearly starving herself at this time. And instead of getting a doctor in, the priests and the parents just kept going on and on and on with these exorcisms when they were clearly making her worse and yes. worse. It must have been exhausting for her and depleting her. 67 exorcisms and during them she was just believing herself to be possessed not only by Lucifer but Hitler, Nero, Cain, Judas and most notably Valentin Fleischmann. Now Fleischmann was a 16th century Bavarian priest who was defrocked by the church for bad behaviour. Apparently the priests were really impressed by this because they thought that she had no way of knowing about Fleischmann and that this was proof that she surely had to be possessed by him. Now that part really confused me. Mm. So I don't know why she couldn't have known about him. I mean, she lives in Bavaria. She's intensely yeah. interested in Catholic history. She reads yeah. lots about Catholicism. Um, so wouldn't she know something of local religious folklore? I mean, you know, is I don't know. If there's anyone out there who knows anything about Valentin Fleischmann <laughs> and why a lay person wouldn't mm. know anything about him, and why this is impossible. I know it just doesn't seem impossible. No, I absolutely agree. So the re priest recorded every session and we're going to play part of a session for you now. A lot of people find it terrifying to listen to because it sounds demonic. For me, it's disturbing because it's someone so very mentally unwell. So we warn you, it's very disturbing. Please skip ahead about three minutes if you think it's too much for you. Here we go. sounds a lot like Linda Blair yeah like from the exorcist look I'm I'm not suggesting she's faking it at all I don't think she was faking it just that she's sensitive she's susceptible these things can play on your mind and influence oh absolutely you. no so, no absolutely and, and if yeah. you think about how much the religious dogma that she had drummed into her from a very young age had already influenced her it's not impossible 
No. And even if she hadn't seen The Exorcist, and I have no idea if she had or not, it was something everyone was talking yeah. about. And lots of people over the, all over the world became convinced yeah. that they were yeah, possessed. They... You know, it's, it's like I remember when I was in primary school, we um, had to watch this movie about Terry Fox. You know, he was, uh, I think he's a Canadian um, amputee. He became a marathon runner. And uh, so during during this movie, I started feeling a pain in my Did leg. you really? And then, and then, you know, walking around that, oh, my gosh, my leg was just yeah. so sore. And, of course... Being me, I was like, oh, God, I have bone marrow cancer. <laughs> it's like I have bone marrow cancer. There's oh, a, my a lot to be said about the power of suggestion. And I was limping, yeah. you know. I was like, oh, God. And thinking about, you know, the amputation I was definitely going to have Now, to you, have. you went and... there, right? Okay, now imagine you've gone home and all of your friends, yeah. all of your family – that your priests, people who, well, maybe not for you because you didn't trust your priests, but the p- men in authority. Oh, no, no, I actually did. I, I liked my priests. My priests okay, okay, okay. So you trusted them. Now yeah. imagine them all saying to you, oh, my God, yes, you do have bone cancer. Yes, you do have bone cancer. Because that was what was happening to Annalisa. She would have these delusions yeah. and, and, and ridiculous dogmatic um, concepts that would plague her. And instead of, well, no, darling, you, they played her up. And you can really yeah. see very easily how this, you know, actually happened. Um, yeah. In the recording, you can hear how distressed she is. Um, imagine the mental stress of going through that 67 times. The impact on her psyche and her body is just unimaginable. And, you know, at time, during this 10 months, mm. Was she getting better no. in any way? No. So they were exacerbating the situation to the point where she was talking about how she wanted to sacrifice her life to atone for all the sinners in the world. And bear in mind, when she's talking about the sinners in the world, one of the things that was on her mind, as, as with the rest of her actual congregation, was the sin of Vatican II. Yes. Yeah, wayward priests who had agreed with Vatican II. Yeah. So she was taking no medication, refusing to eat completely, and she was so frail by this stage. I mean, you look at the pictures of her and only look at pictures of her if, if, you know, you really, really want to because they are terrible. She's so obviously close to death. You don't have to be a doctor to see this is a girl that that is a couple of weeks away from death. She'd torn all the tendons in her knees from constant pain. That cannot be easy to do. And that in itself Ah. illustrates the um, insane intensity and repetitivity of what she was doing. Well, I mean... um, that was apparently one of the reasons why she was so heavily restrained on the chair. Oh, really? Yeah, so that she wouldn't, you know, jump down and, and start. 
praying on her knees and ripping her knees up. And she was uh, hurting herself quite a lot. She was throwing herself against the wall. Yeah, but if you listen to the family talk about that she was throwing herself against the wall, they don't say she was throwing herself against the wall. They say the demon was beating her up. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. Insane. It's, yeah. I mean, look, basically this this girl, this beautiful Mm. girl, looked like a corpse months before she died. She did. She she was basically a a living corpse. It's it's unimaginable. Annalisa died on the 1st of July 1976 at the very young age of 23. Her cause of death was malnutrition and dehydration. We could also say that her cause of death was extremism, parental dysfunction, and the arrogance of two men who were given the responsibility to take care of her. She was failed on every level by every person she trusted. The state prosecutor agreed. Anna and Joseph, Father Alt and Father Rents were all charged with negligent homicide. The trial took place in 1978. During the trial, the two priests insisted that Annalisa had been a victim of demon possession, even going so far as to say that her death had freed well, death, her. How could yeah, death had freed her. Not from demons, from but death. from a damaging form of religious dogma and neglect and abuse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And court reporter Michael Gettler wrote in the Washington Post, Renz, a specialist in exorcism, presents a commanding figure in his priest robes. His long grey hair swept back and no emotion apparent in his face. Alt, who wears dark civilian clothes and has alert, darting eyes, is the one most involved in the proceedings. He seems to let no points go by that conceivably could be challenged. So obnoxious. I get a real vision of him, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I think just those few lines tell everything. us so much about those <laughs> they men. They tell us everything. And, and, yeah. and Gettler also writes a few really good lines about the parents as mm-hmm. well. And um, he wrote, throughout the trial, Annalise's father, 60-year-old Joseph Michel, has sat impassively, his stocky frame tilted close to a special amplifier to help him hear. His wife, Anna, 57, takes notes steadily, pausing only to moan, oh dear God, when some doctor alleges that her daughter was possessed of a mental disorder rather than the devil. So there you can see the emotional unavailability Mm -hmm. of the father and the control freakism of the mother there taking notes like she has to be in control of the situation yeah. it's yeah it's it's great reporting yeah, yeah. actually you, you really <laughs> can get a slight insight as to the atmosphere within that room where Annalisa was held yeah and, yeah yeah 
So all four were found guilty of manslaughter resulting from negligence. The parents were not sentenced as it was decided they had suffered enough and the priests were sentenced to six months in jail. This was suspended, however, and they ended up with just three years of probation. And they still kept arguing that as well. They didn't even accept Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, there are still so many people who are defensive of these priests. I know. They, look, they were just doing their job. They were just doing their job. But, they were doing their And it is still a whole load of uh, Catholics who refuse to acknowledge the Vatican too and still have Latin masses and that kind of stuff. So, You know, I do wonder about the political elements of this exorcism Absolutely. Sometimes. You're not the only one. Scholars have written about it. Yeah. You know, was, was, was Annalisa a symbol of of um, the church before Vatican II? Was she a symbol of all that was good and all that was traditional? And if they saved her, would this be kind of proving something? Yes. I think that yeah. was actually almost stated somewhere. I don't know where. I can't give you a source. But, yeah, no, absolutely. The politics of it definitely played into what this woman you know went through and by the way like our um previous podcast topic julia julia pastrama um it didn't end with her death no <laughs> they couldn't leave her alone even no. after death so some nun had a dream i think or a vision or something where she believed the body of um, annalisa to be perfectly preserved and pure and wonderful so the parents lobbied and lobbied and lobbied until they agreed to dig her up and check out her corpse. Yeah. And, of course, the corpse was in the normal state of decay that any corpse would be in after that But they still don't let it go. They still don't let it go. Now they're saying that, you know, in the the images you can see of the, the outside of the coffin, you can see the devil's hand resting there and you can see... It goes to show that when people want to believe in something, they will adamantly see it no matter what, which is almost what happened to Annalisa, Um, this dogma that she got raised on. um... Yeah, I mean, her her grave in Bavaria is actually um, a a bit of a shrine now. Oh, Um, really? People, yes. A lot of tourists go there to see her grave. people who are really into the paranormal and demonology and and even uh, really fundamentalist Catholics, they, they go to her grave and, and wow. um, she's, she's almost like a saint to them, which is... Have you ever noticed that, ex- um, that possessions only ever happen to fundamental Catholics and never happened to atheists you think that if the deep devil was going to <laughs> invade people maybe he'd go after you Heidi you should be an easy hit <laughs> no oh, how do you know that he hasn't <laughs> you know why how do you know that he hasn't and do Becky? you know why do you know why <laughs> why because possession is bullshit <laughs> absolutely absolutely oh, dear you know, there are demons, but they're not the supernatural kind. kind. The demons are the humans that betray. Yeah. 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 
But there you go. That's a very, very, very sad story of Annalisa, Michelle. And it's, I don't know, who thought, who read that and thought, I know, let's make a Hollywood movie out of that, but actually make it where she's, I'm presuming in the movie she actually is really possessed, right? Oh, you know, the priest is the good guy. Hmm. Yeah, don't. No, I'm not going to. It will make me too cross. You know me. You know me. (laughs) history has to be historical don't don't mess with it don't don't elaborate on it yeah yeah opine on it but don't invent things about it yeah yeah that's oh dear oh wow that was heavy story and and do you know what i actually feel lighter now i've i've had this story of annalisa just kind of haunting me for the last maybe she was possessing you Heidi she well you know the idea of her was and (laughs) and I feel like I can kind of let her go now well well I hope that we've done the best that we can for Annalisa and I hope that she is resting in peace may she rest in peace yeah for joining us for that very very dark story yeah now don't forget you can join the conversation on our facebook page just look up Hobsession. and uh please tell your friends about us because they might like us and if you have time if you could leave a five-star review it would mean a lot we are a very new podcast and those reviews they do they do they do thanks everyone thanks heidi Thanks, Becky. Bye, Bye, everyone.